Hey everyone, it's Yas here and I'm calling today with a little favour to ask. Over the recent weeks and months, I've had loads of you get in touch with some great questions and today I'm going to be trying something new with the show. I'm trialling a Q&A segment where I'll be joined by a co-host and elite coach educator, Gerard Jones. Now these are discussions which are going to be taking place every Sunday evening at 7.30 GMT live on Twitter space if you wanted to get involved directly. Otherwise, I'll be releasing them here every Wednesday on the Coaches Network podcast. So for today's format, it's slightly different and for around about 30 minutes, each discussion will be dedicated to a question that has been sent in where myself and Joe will be going into some real depth and sharing our views and opinions on the topic in order to leave you with some key takeaways to consider in your own environments. So the favour I'm asking for today, guys, is if you can let me know your thoughts on the new format and you can do this by getting in touch on Twitter at The Coaches Net. Once again, that is at The Coaches Net. And of course, if you have a question, feel free to send that in too. Hope you enjoy the new format. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. Hey guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent and personal development. My name's Coach Yas and I'm a UEFA A licensed football coach, coach developer and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. If you think about the master experience, what I was saying before, just to reiterate, is how can you design experiences that really stretch and challenge the players? So thinking about the, the child, whether they're a, an older age group, you know, 22, 19, 18 or 15 or 10, it's still someone's playing and so on and so on. But then what position is that player, and obviously players, playing that's going to get the best out of them as part of their individual development? And it might be that within the match day, again, seeing it as an extension of training, you look at it from thinking, well, Yaz is going to play maybe 50% in his primary position or positions, another 50% in some development areas. And that might be because he needs to get different experiences playing in different roles. It might be that actually there's a player who he's playing up against and this player is going to give him a real difficult challenge. So some coaches will use the match day. Of course, the object of the game is to score more goals than the opposition to win the match. But if we're looking at it as an extension of training as well, it should be that we're thinking, you know, rather than trying to uh, save players and, uh, you know, wrap them up and cover and protect them, how can we create ways skillfully to challenge them? So if our defender needs to get better at defending wide, yeah, to play in that position, to outplay and out-dominate that, that direct opponent. But actually, it might be better that, you know, David or Sarah, whoever, plays in that position because they're up against a real challenge. So it's just thinking about those things that we can put in the match day. You're always thinking about creating games within games. So you've got the bigger game, which is what they're playing. But then how can we create a game within that game, whether it's to outplay the opponent, Number of times it can beat a player 1v1. How many times it can find opportunities to play into the penalty area, crosses, whatever it may be. You know, as an academy example, I remember very similar to stuff I've done before, engaging with parents, um, is I would set a challenge to one of the players because he needed to get better at tracking runners. And that was a non-negotiable for us as a club. But equally, he, as a midfielder, and he typically played as a six or an eight, he didn't always do that very well. Sometimes he would, sometimes he wouldn't. But often he would have players running off the shoulder off him and he wouldn't be aware. 
So we gave it as an objective, and we would use that game, as, especially when he's playing against some forwards who love to make a conversation with them. You're watching stuff. There's loads of ways that you can engage with parents, engage with players, no matter what level you're at, to really stretch and challenge the player. And I think match day, you know, I've said already, should be seen as an extension of practice. So what have you done in training in the lead up to that? And then how are you using the match day to reinforce those messages? And that goes on even at the top level. So with Jurgen Klopp, I know this because I've worked with people who've worked with him, where even though they want to win, they need to win three points. If they've been working on certain principles and they've got their principles around counter-pressing, around other stuff, jumping, trying to catch the ball high at the pitch, whatever it may be, or breaking lines and the certain things they'll do against certain teams, they'll if they've worked on that in, in the week and in weeks, they will look to measure that. So in the first half review, even during the match day, even though they've got to get three points in the Premier League at the top level, they're still revisiting what are their values, what are their principles. And I know that for a fact because I've been told and shown examples of it. So they'll be going, ah, but we're going back to the players to, to be really game-sponsive. And there's no reason why we can't do that, even at the levels we're working at. So I really think match day is a great opportunity where, yes, you want to try and win the game, but not necessarily the detriment of, of learning. And that would even go into, you know, other stuff around halftime talks, which we can talk about later, you know, but I'm really fascinated around how you can use that halftime as a great opportunity to stretch and challenge players and give them ownership to tell us what they've seen and what they think and feel, rather than the coach always being the one that tells the players what we're doing in the second half. So, yeah, match day is a great opportunity just to, to connect the dots within training and find ways to develop individuals across a number of different strategies and scenarios. So if I know that Yaz is playing against Rod, and actually Rod's going to cause him this type of problem, that's great. And then um, if you can still hear me okay. So yeah, so you know, game time is key. Players need minutes in order to get better. And, I, and a great app I'd recommend anyone use is called... Um, uh, was it Coach Time, I think it is? And uh, Bay Time, sorry, Sub Time. So you can use Sub Time and it automatically calculates how many minutes the players have been on the on the pitch, how many minutes they've been on the bench. If you've just subbed them out, how long they've stayed on the bench, if you've got role, if you're able to play in certain positions, it works it out all for you and it allows you to think about equal playing time, giving players opportunities to learn in different roles. That type of thing. So yeah, that would be my two cents, Yaz. No, I really appreciate. It. I think there's a lot of bit, a lot of the things that you've gone into there. I think first and foremost is addressing what what stage and what level of the game you're actually uh, approaching this from. I think a lot of what you've said is much more around probably youth development and just general development football as a whole. I think you know I love the piece around giving the players ownership. You know, like, I just want to kind of maybe share one or two strategies that I've used and maybe even offer offer. Any of, the, any of the listeners here to kind of jump on board and give us some of their ideas um, around how they approach match day. And I think, you know, to echo what you said, I definitely feel that, yeah, match day is the opportunity for kind of it to be an extension of what's happening in training. But also, if you like, that's, you know, the, the way I look at it, that's, that is the exam. It's, you know, that's where the, that's where the kind of the, the work is getting done. You know, we've done, we've done as much as we can in training to support the players and develop them and potentially raise their awareness and whatnot. But, when it gets to that match day, 
we now need to trust in the process that we've actually carried out and, you know, the, the efforts that they've made during the week to kind of pick up on board on the information we've given them. So, you know, just kind of a couple of things that I, I look to do with that. And obviously you touched on there, Joe, around the halftime team talks as an example. But even, to be honest, even before the game starts, I'm letting the players generally, uh, depending on what age group they are, I kind of let them lead that conversation as well. So for me, at the start of the conversation, it will be, right, match day, in possession, out of possession, kind of goals, targets, if you like. <clears throat> but obviously, we've gone through some key messages through the week and obviously over the, over the course of the season so far. So we'll have a good understanding of what those main core principles and values are that we're trying to kind of upheld. So for me, we'll be getting the players to kind of relay that back to us, highlighting for us what they think is important on that particular game, in possession, out of possession. And then obviously looking at setting them tasks throughout the game to be more reflective and self-aware. So for for instance, it could be that actually, you know, if, you, if you're doing 11 v 11, for instance, you know, you've got your three units, you've got your defensive unit, your midfield unit and your forwards. And you might throw the goalkeeper in with the defending defending unit. And then <clears throat> you, talk, you toss them in it. Um, you know, when it come in at half time, to all have either one in possession positive, one in possession um, area for development, and same for out of possession, and obviously get them to share and expand on that across the unit, so they will get to see it from a defending unit's perspective, we'll get to see it from a or hear it from a midfield unit perspective, and then get to hear it from the forwards perspective as well, which I think is going to be really key within that. So I think having an opportunity to share those views and those insights across the different units and have different perceptions on what that looks like, I think is going to be really key. So, for instance, coming at half-time, in the build-up to half-time, I might have some key notes that I've made I've made throughout the game. And the idea would be for me that actually when they come in at half-time, as an example, are they seeing or experiencing the same observations that I have? So, for instance, if the defender's... I've picked up on something in possession that I've got on my list. I already know that, okay, they're on the right track. I don't really need to talk much about it, but I might probe and then delve deeper into it to get them to understand, actually, this is what the observation is. How are we going to now solve that? Or what are we going to do about that situation to kind of, you know, get the best out of that, best outcome from it? And is there particular players in the team that might need to just do a particular role as a, as a result of that? So, a large part of my team talks, if you like, and I probably would do this even with the younger age groups. Um, but obviously, as they get older, I probably might go a bit more deeper in terms of the detail and the depth of depth of uh, understanding that they're going to kind of give back to me. So that's one of the ways in which I would like to, you know, maybe approach a match day myself. But I think there's a few other considerations to make within that as well. It's, you know, you talked about game time as an example. I think even in terms of managing the match day and, and the game time, it's also recognising that it, does every player need to play on every game? Or is there certain games that you're going to put players in and leave them out of other games? Obviously, you know, with win academy football as an example, they say every player should be paying 50% of the game, but I'm not necessarily sure that that should be the case. So, I mean, there's a couple of considerations for me in terms of match days. Um, but it'd be good, you know, to kind of get some listeners' thoughts on how they approach match days and what they consider to be key considerations when approaching a match day and you know it could be pre-game stuff it could be during the game it could be how they help the players and even themselves reflect on the game once it's once it's complete so guys you know if you if you do have any uh thoughts or opinions that you want to kind of throw in there please please feel free to kind of raise your hands so we can invite you in as well 
That's class, really interesting. Sorry about that last bit. I did end up uh, getting kicked out. I'm not quite sure what happened with my Wi-Fi. But yeah, no, really fascinating. I mean, one of the biggest things I would often do with even just talking about half-time talks, uh, can you hear me okay, Yaz? Is that all right? Yeah, I've got you fine. Perfect. So yeah, we would often give players, and I still do this now, where I'd put players into groups and have them share ideas amongst themselves. It might be the goalkeepers with defenders, midfielders with forwards, or even in smaller unit-specific groups. And again, they're having a discussion. Let them lead the halftime talk. You know, how often do the coaches allow the players to lead the halftime talk? I think it's, it's vital, you know, because they've played the game. We as staff can talk to each other and have clarity and look at the clips you know, even at the top level now, they're getting the clips instantly. They're on the TVs. But we can do that even at the academy levels, grassroots levels. There's so much technology and resources now. There's no reason why we can't. So we can have a discussion amongst ourselves, make sure we're aligned, allow the players to decompress, which I think is really important. Have a few minutes just to calm down a little bit. They'll share their thoughts with each other and then get them to feed back to us and feedback to each other around what have they seen, what do you think we could do better, who's the danger player for the opposition, who's caused us a problem, how can we solve it, brilliant, let's go. And then as a coach, of course, you'll have your strategy around whether it's any substitutions, if you need to, you know, even that for match day, do you plan your subs ahead of time? I see a lot of coaches spend so much time planning the training session, but then how much time do they spend planning the game? And it's really interesting. I've asked so many coaches over the years on different courses, taught me through your match day prep, and they don't spend half as much time as they do when they plan a training session, which I find odd. You know, so in a match day, you should be planning your substitutes. How many subs are you going to be using? When are you going to use them? Of course, that's not to say it has to be scripted because you need to coach what's in front of you. You need to see things and, you know, You've got to be really good at reflection in action, not to say reflection on action. Reflection on action will be at half time, but reflecting in action and seeing things and recognizing, Joe, I might need to change this, or actually, we need to stick with this, or he needs to get more time here. We'll have to move things around, or dealing with injuries and so on. That stuff you can't predict, but definitely thinking about how many subs am I going to have? What's my substitution strategy? If this happens, how can I, what role is this person? You've seen that at the top level with Champions League, haven't you? Where some of the best players have been on the bench and they're not a starter, but they're a finisher. And that's part of the strategy, isn't it? I mean, there's been so many Champions League finals where players have come on and end up scoring the winners or leading up to the assist that's led to the winning goals. So I think that's a fascinating piece of it. Thinking about in training, how many times do you design match day experience within your training environments? So often I'll do a lot of training where We'll play against teams, but we will actually have a half-time talk in the training session. Because often, how often do you prepare for the half-time talk? It's normally on a match day, but you never really prepare for it during the week. So how about creating those opportunities during your training session? So if you're playing a game against another team, another age group, or within the same club or a friendly, or even in if you've got the numbers, you're playing a natural game, have a half-time talk, have the players think about it and discuss and then try and solve the problem for the second half and don't tell the opposition what's happening so it's a little bit of this tactical warfare 
Now what you're doing is you're creating as, as close to the game as what they are going to experience on a Friday night, Tuesday night, Saturday morning, Sunday, whatever, whenever they play their games. So, uh, yeah, I think that's all interesting. And, you know, match day is a great way just to be a really good observer and try and pay close attention to what are the things that you value most because the quality of your questions represents the quality of your values. And obviously, what are you noticing? So where are you paying attention to? And that's key because then you're starting to delve up roles and responsibilities as part of the match day experience. So who's responsible for what? Who's looking at what? If Yaz is focusing on this, I'm focusing on this. And then how do you come together? You know, is it that if, you, if you're coaching as a pair, is one coach the, the lead coach and one coach is the analyst, if you like? And he stood away, you're not stood together, so you're influencing each other's bias and what they see. There's loads of things we could talk about about match day, but they're just some snippets. And yeah, I'm interested to hear what Yaz has got, any thoughts on that and even anyone else listening. There's a few a few considerations there to make, Gerard, and I think you make you know you spot on. I think it's how how often do you actually plan the match day experience and actually get them to experience different elements of that itself? But um, Apple got you obviously got your got your hand up. You know, if you wanted to speak, some interest to get some of your thoughts on that, man. Hi, good evening, lads. Uh, how's it going? Very well, man. Very well. Good stuff. Um, yeah, no, I, I think Gerard really hit some uh, really. Uh, good and relevant points. I think when he spoke about um, it's very bizarre that quite often people spend a lot of time preparing for training sessions, but they don't spend an equal amount of time or more time when it comes to uh, preparing for games. Um, I think um, one of one of the processes I like to take when preparing for games is, is really a matter of consolidation. Um, so leading up to games or, or on a game day, uh, whether it be in a group chat or when we all first get into the changing room, I think the first thing I like to do is not have a team talk, but have a talk of consolidation. So we're going over the things that we've gone through in training, the things that we've done really, really well, uh, you know, sort of in, in, in recent games and the things that we want to try to avoid doing, uh, you know, whether it be in possession or out of possession. So those, those, those elements of consolidation, I think are really, really important and helps the players to take ownership um, in those moments. Um, I think what I try to do is always work to my strengths um, <clears throat> and, Whilst I might set the tactics, um, I have to trust the players uh, to follow to follow instruction and, and, and also follow their instinct on the pitch. You know, my intention isn't to take away any of their individual uh, creativity when it comes to, to, to moments uh, in the game. So the things that I like to try to focus on uh, as, a, as a manager or as a coach is, is the psych uh, corner of things. I like to try to make sure that the players are in the right emotional space and they're in the right uh, uh, temperament uh, for the game um, because I think things can happen during the game that can perhaps derail uh, your plans tactically uh, and can certainly derail them uh, technically, uh, whether it be a confidence boost or whatever it is. So I like to try to focus on the man management element um, just before the game. Uh, <clears throat> I like to leave the players to, to have that con that conversation of consolidation. Um, Half-time team talks, generally, um, I, I try to stay out of the changing room for the first sort of, I don't know, four or five minutes because I, I think the captain needs an opportunity to be a captain. He needs a, he needs an opportunity to lead and, and, and say the things that he that he sees. And I never really worry about there being contrasting information between myself and the skipper because I think when you're selecting a captain, uh, you know you're gonna make sure that you're seeing things uh, eye to eye. And there's perhaps good opportunity sometimes for me to talk to the captain and 
not address the group. Um, and sometimes it's good to maintain that element of space uh, as a manager uh, with the players and let the players also manage themselves sometimes uh, in really important situations. Um, but everything leading up to games, I think um, just... I mean, Gerard made so many really good points about, uh, you know, trying to recreate match environments and training. And I think everything needs to be relative. You know, there has to be an element of uh, ownership for the players from training right into games. And it really is up to us as managers and coaches and educators to make sure that we are giving them that experience of of ownership. Um, A lot of these, a lot of the players, you know, outside of football probably don't get the opportunity to take much ownership in their life. Um, depending on the level that, that, that you're coaching or the age groups. Um, and I'm sure, yes, uh, and Gerard, you've coached and managed at, at various age groups. And, you know, some players are well looked after at home. You know, their boots are, are clean for them, their, their kits are laid out. So on a match day, the, the element of ownership is really quite alien to them. Um, so, you know, we're trying to introduce these concepts in, in a way that doesn't throw them off uh, too much. Um, and, you know, we can really still try to engage with them and the players are still trying to engage with each other. I think some great points there. One thing, one thing that's probably really worth highlighting there is maybe the age group that you're actually working with. Um, presumably, obviously, you're looking at more, uh, I don't want to say senior players specifically, but you're looking at players that probably are in the professional development phase or above. So I think, you know, having that approach is obviously really, really key. And, you know, I think it will take you back to the top of your point. And I think even something that Gerard touched on was, you know, being aware of yourself and your in your skill sets and your in your in your capabilities, I'm just curious to know then you know if there's any particular questions that you might throw at your players that you that you would consider to be regular things that you kind of use as as tools in your in your match the approach. Um, I think um, I think f- throughout training and 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 throughout games, I like to ask questions. Um, I think sometimes it's necessary to give instruction uh, where where you see things are going potentially uh, catastrophically wrong uh, you know it, that's that's my job to manage and to coach um, but generally I like to ask questions uh, uh, you know even during the game asking a question can often uh, provoke you know a thought process from a player or even provoke an action and they go oh you know I just remembered that you know so that, you know and it's trigger words and keywords um, and that's something that I like to try to put into training so it's not something that's alien when it comes into football matches um, one of the things that uh, that I kind of really realised, uh, having been a player and going going into coaching and management, one of the things I really realised was, you know, how do the players prepare themselves? Uh, you know, and I, I've always taken an interest into into how players actually prepare uh, for football matches. So even leading up to, to to games, you know, the final training session, you know, I, I just like to pay attention to small things. You know, what, what are they doing outside? You know, where are they going? I like to try to start a conversation maybe the night before a game. Um, I'll maybe deliberately send a text at half past 11 at night time. This is with the seniors or, or the 18s. And, I, you know, I'll send a text at half 11 at night. And if they're responding, then I know they're, they're not really getting much rest. Uh, and it's those little things that I really think makes a difference. And it's... um. I try not to, to micromanage. You know, if we get caught up micromanaging, we have we have issues on match days. Uh, so really just passing over the responsibility to the players is a really, really important aspect of trust, uh, but also development because, you know, the people that you're, that you're coaching, well, before they're players, they're people. So, you know, we're not, we're not all built the same. 
uh, but we have to have an equal opportunity to try to to conform to a standard, if that makes sense. Yeah, 100%. I think, you know, the key piece obviously touched there as well, that, you know, everyone has got different capabilities, if you like, and we are individuals as, 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 as and we stand on our own in that respect. So, you know, I think it's interesting to hear that as you're going through that process, you're not, you're not so much giving them instruction all the time, which I think is really key. And if we're trying to give them ownership and help them become more self, what's the word? Problem solvers for themselves rather than, you know, relying on people to give them the answers, if you like. And I think that's really key. So I guess, you know, just if I think back to my own experiences, I'm looking at that now and thinking to myself, what are some of the questions that I like to ask players to think about? in terms of evaluating the environment and assessing the environment and how effective they can be within it. And it's just often looking at, right, helping the players understand what the problem is that they're facing. So often one of the things I like to get get across to players is, right, what is the challenge that is in front of you? You know, can you tell me the detail around it and get them to explore that detail as well? And obviously you don't necessarily get that same time on match day, but what I find is that where I've been able to explore that context with them in a training session I'm able just to use that as a point of reference coming back to it on a match day as an example. You know, it might be that, all right, you know, we do a practice and it's Gerard up against Apple on the right-hand side, right? You know, you you, you found a problem there. The problem is actually every single time you go down the right-hand side, Gerard's trying to show you inside. And it's just now, all right, fine. Is that the same thing that's still happening now when we get to the match day? Or is the problem slightly different? But we need to understand what the problem is before we can help them guide, help guide them towards a solution which I think is definitely something a lot of coaches, um, especially within the grassroots settings, in my, in my opinion, and it happens in the, in the academies as well, because let's not, let's, not, let's not just assume that every coach out there that's working in the grassroots game isn't a great coach, and every coach working in the academy game is one, because that's not necessarily the case, as, you, you know, as I'm sure you agree. But I guess within that, it's just now, again, asking those questions for the players to kind of really become more self-aware and self-critic, you know, self-critique what the situation is and what the differences can be within it. So if it is a 1v1 situation in the wide area, are you able to assess, right, how, how close is too close before it becomes too much too much of a risk to, to skip by the player? How how far is too far before the actually the manoeuvre that you're trying against the individual becomes ineffective to become to, to, to when it becomes effective so as an example if I do a step over from three yards away from you it's probably not going to do anything to you but at the same time if I try and do a step over around half a yard away from you it's probably too close to have an impact so it's finding that sweet spot and you know using that as an example try and help them develop a better understanding of all the different contexts that they might come across within the game and using that same kind of framework if you like <coughs> to break down the different situations that they might fall into. Um, and one of, the, one of the critiques I have had around that way of working is that actually that can be quite time-consuming at times. And my, my thing is, actually, in the initial stages, yes, it might be time-consuming, but actually, if we can help the players develop a better understanding of what's working, why it's working, and if it doesn't work, these are the reasons as to why it might not have worked, then... As time goes on, those conversations become shorter and shorter and shorter because all we know now doing is referring back to the points that we've already made. And in terms of the way we communicate that information, whether that be through um, literal instruction, whether that be through demonstration, whether that be through use of analogies and images and visual and visual representations, we can help the players develop a better understanding of those things. So therefore, you now refer back to them 
just on the simple right. Do you remember that conversation we had about this? What did we say about that? Remember that remember that training session where we where we, we were working on the right hand side as an example. So I guess you know in line with that sort of stuff, Gerard, Apple, and anyone else that wants to kind of chime in here, just curious to you know maybe understand any approaches that you guys might use or have in terms of how you actually do communicate information and whether whether that is even an approach that you might even take to help a place develop a better understanding of the context of the of the different situations that they might find themselves in. Yeah, I've got a few thoughts, but I, I don't know if uh, Coach wants to add something. I think he's raised his hand. Do you want to do you want to add anything or ask a question? No, no, go on. I'll I'll wait on you, Gerard. Okay, cool. So, well, just going back a few steps as well. To be fair, I just think it, it all these things that we're saying are just reiterating that how can we try and design these experiences for the players and think about what's almost like the perfect match for that individual. What do they need that's really going to stretch and challenge them further in that journey that they're going on? You know, and that all links back to their individual plan. If you're talking about feedback, one of the biggest things I always think about is, is what I'm about to say going to help or hinder? Because I think <laughs> more often than not, we always come from this great place of we want to help, but actually it might hinder <laughs> because We've just given them a piece of information and then we're going and giving them more. And we all know that when you're playing the game, there's a lot to wrestle with and figure out just by playing the game itself. So, and I see a lot, I've, I've been watching games today at academy level over here in, in, in the United States and yesterday. And even watching the the women's pro league, the NWSL in, U, in US soccer. I was with the women's first team in the morning and then, um, in the US and then I, I was able to watch the the men's team in the, in the MLS after. Really interesting when you're looking at loads of different levels there. You've got academy, you've got senior professional men and women and then you've got grassroots. And uh, across all of those, again, I might not understand all the context that people have been working on in training or what they're trying to achieve, but as a snapshot, I'm seeing coaches, you know, take grassroots, for example, and I've seen it across, telling co players on the ball what to do. So they're shouting instructions to the player on the ball. It's physically on the ball. So they're already wrestling with stuff. I saw one coach talk to a player to take the free, quick, uh, the free kick quickly because that's obviously part of their philosophy. And he wasn't doing it well enough. What it led to was the player making a mistake they end up giving the ball away, ending up in a counter-attack and it ended up in a goal in the back of the net. What would have been interesting, obviously I didn't do this, but I would have loved to have asked the player, what did you see? Because he was clearly hesitant. And in previous situations, the players have put the ball down and played. In that one, he didn't. So why was that player managing that tempo? Was it because he didn't want it to be too quick? Was it because he wasn't sure what the best option was and he was still searching for that? He was still scanning the field? What was it? But the coach has influenced that player by giving him direct feedback, direct instruction, basically telling him what to do. But it ended up micromanaging, using your point, and it, it sabotaged the team, really. So, you know, if we're saying shoot, pass, run with it, stay on the ball, go back to the keeper, play quicker, do this, do that, who's playing the game? I think once the players cross that white line, they're playing the game. I don't think we should be giving information to them while they're on the ball or about to receive the ball. I think what we can do is potentially 
think about things maybe afterwards. Could it be a drive-by? Could it be a, a chat? You can just signal. I often do this where the ball's in the opposite half of the pitch. But I've said, oh, Johnny, just come over here. And he'll be coming over to me and I'll be having a chat with him or I'll be asking him a question. So you've got to pick your moments. Is it a throw-in? Is it a, I don't know, it might not be a throw-in. Wherever's appropriate, there's other ways to do it, isn't there? Or is it, can you pass information on through a player? Often a lot of coaches will give loads of information to players who are right near them. They're on the, the, the coach side, pitch side. But then they're raising the voice or, or not even coaching at all. The players in the middle or on the far side. And that's interesting to look at. So on a match day experience, is that player who's nearest to you getting most information because he's closest to the coach? And it might be. So it's just thinking about, is what we're about to say help or hinder? Because if he's already took on board one piece of information, we're adding more. Is that too much? Is it giving him too many things to think about? Are we just overcomplicating it? And I just think by having that little pause in your breath, it just it helps us be a lot more concise when we do give information and really think deeply about, should I be sharing this or not? So there's one takeaway for everybody. If you think it's going to help, then of course, then it's, all right, how, do you, how are you going to share that information to him? Can you get a player to share that information, which is even more powerful? Um, and obviously the words that Yaz was talking about before, you want these self-learners, players that can self-regulate, adapt. How are you going to do that? By giving them problems to solve. They'll get problems presented naturally within the game. Use your questions that align with your vocab that help the players to look for things within the game and try and figure it out. But they've got to have that safety net. And then I think as a coach, you've got to be true to your word that what you say and do, does your behaviour marry the message? So if in training, um, sorry for the long explanation, but if in training you're working at the minute and you're, by the sounds of it, you're the type of guy, I get the feeling, you'll be encouraging the players, you'll be asking them to set risks, you'll be praising their effort, asking them questions, you'll be going, well done, good try. But then on a match day, if you change, I think that's not uh, authentic. I think that doesn't correlate. That's just my opinion. I think if you're encouraging players and encouraging freedom and you're a certain way during training, if you act differently on a game day, that's subconsciously telling the players that, oh, we should. this is more pressure. This isn't the same and we should be nervous. And, you know, it's not quite... Actually, you should be the same. You should be authentic. You should be asking them questions, being quite calm. When you need to step it up, step it up. But when you need to be, be low, be low. But it's not erratic and just being the completely different, no, 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 not there, not there. Do this. Because then I think you're portraying different messages to the players, which is, well, you want us to take risks and you're doing one thing in training, but then actually you don't really want that on a game day. So then players won't look for creative solutions or look for the safest option. And then that'll lead to more mistakes because rather than playing that pass that could be risky and goes in the box, but might not go up, might not work, they'll try and play the safe pass, which might lead to a player playing the ball behind somebody who's trying to make a run in the box. You've given the ball away for throwing, the, the, the opposition have got it and they're going to hurt you. So those would be the things that you know pop in my mind. And yeah, let us know what you think, what you're going to say and even what, what your thoughts are on that. Uh, yeah, you know, Jenna, you you made um, some some really um, 
fantastic points and uh you know a few of those just really really resonated with me and um i think um anybody that's uh uh had the displeasure of being coached by me <laughs> um uh, would certainly would certainly know that authenticity is is absolutely everything and consistency in in in, in my approach and how i like to do things um in fact, I can see one of my one of my old players is in here listening, and he's probably going to laugh when I say this. But um, I think the the consistency of, of of myself and how I like to do things is always to think about what we want to do uh, in our possession. Um, what it, you know, how do we play? Um, yes, the opposition might pose threats and risks, but I'm not one to really uh, uh, worry or, or or try to plan. For opposition's uh, 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 strengths, I, I like to plan for my own strengths. Um, so I've never really been in, interested in anything other than solving the problems that kind of stop us from playing how we want to play. Um, and in that respect, yes, we have to hand ownership over to the players. Uh, can they problem solve? If they can't solve that problem, um, what questions can I ask them, or what instruction can I give them? I'm, I must say, um, it's it's a very uh, time and place. When it's when it when it comes to giving instruction, um, and you're absolutely right. I'd say the wrong times to give instruction when when they're about to to receive the ball, um, potentially when they're on the ball. Sometimes um, uh, I think it's you said. Uh, you know, is what I'm going to say going to help or hinder? Uh, just to throw another angle in there is also is what I'm going to say going to help hinder or challenge? the player um, and I think sometimes with some players they really really need a challenge I think some players can can sit in their comfort zone and, and they need a bit of a they need a bit of an emotional kick up the backside and uh, and you know so sometimes you might say something that's going to challenge him or it might piss him off for the next five ten minutes and then you you know and then you'll see the best of him because he's playing angry and you know he's got a point to prove uh, but again that comes down to really having your finger on the pulse of, of your team and really, really knowing your players and knowing what they're capable of uh, in, in, in pivotal moments in games uh, or even just moments in the season. Um, one of the things I, I, I liked to do, uh, knowing when big games were coming up, um, and uh, again, uh, there's one or two of my old players that are, that are in here and can probably uh, come on and, and testify to that, is a week or two weeks before the game uh the, the emotional uh, manipulation would maybe start, you know, that's not good enough. You can do better. Maybe criticise them a little more than they're used to. And players start to get a little bit of a bit between their teeth. And and I think so, it takes a little while to, to get a player sometimes uh, to, to a level of, of, of competitiveness uh, or even just emotionally to actually go out and put, put in a really big performance in a really big moment or in a really big game. So sometimes you can't just turn up on the day and try to fire him up. That's that's a process. That's a process. They've got to start maybe a week before, maybe sometimes two weeks before. You know, you, you have a jab at him about one or two things. That's sloppy. You know, you talk about detail. Oh, that's really sloppy. You can't do that. You can't do that in a big game. You know, you, you got to do better than that. You sort of raise the bar just a little bit. And then in the big moments, the players, even if they are, even if they are not focusing on on that one task, sometimes they're focusing on proving you wrong. Um, and, but again, that's that's all a part of the, I guess, the gift of, of, of coaching and management. It's, it's all a part of the game of coaching and management. You know, are you able to play those games, uh, those psychological games to try to get the best out of your players in certain moments um, and maybe even just try to change 
uh, your approach to certain things, but for sure, you know, the things that I, I personally like to think of are the things that I can control uh, and the things that we can control as a unit, which is how we want to play. How do we want to play? Uh, what are the opposition doing to stop us from doing what we're doing? And it may well be that they've got a lot of possession, but actually we've got plan A uh, out of possession. Why are we not doing this very well? Okay, well, let's ask questions surrounding that. And quite often players aren't actually able to, to, to assess that in, in the moment, which is why their players are not coaches. Um, so at times it is our jobs as coaches to, to give them instruction and, and, and help them through really difficult moments or patch them up until half time. And then you can have that, that, that talk of consolidation again. And then we can focus on the site corner again at getting players emotionally in the right place where they can go and compete. Um, one of the consistent messages that I really like to put into my players is, you know, look, even if you're playing badly and it's not possible for us to play at the at the peak of our level, even for every minute in every game, it's not possible. We're always going to make mistakes. Um, but one thing is a non-negotiable. So we look at non-negotiables, the list of non-negotiables that, that are kind of there when you join the team or when we sign you, whether it be a contract or grassroots, you know, look, what are your list of non-negotiables? Well, mine is hard work. And that's a talent. Some, some, some people aren't, aren't born with the gift of running. They can run. Everybody can run. We're all humans. We can run different speeds and different levels. Yeah, for sure. But we can all run. Um, and it's where are you emotionally? Are you willing to run? So, again, the, the, these things, the non-negotiables that come, you've got to put those into your training sessions in order to get that out of the players in, in football matches. Um, so, you know, you start leaning on the non-negotiables when players perhaps aren't playing so well. You know, when the performance levels aren't great, fine. Are we outrunning the opposition? Are we at least trying to outwork him? Are you trying to outmuscle him? Can you be more aggressive than he is? You know, can you be a bit more nasty than he is? Whatever it is that you need to do in that moment, can I inspire that? And that that ultimately is is our jobs as coaches and uh, and managers and developers is to try to get players to perform uh, at a level uh, that is, I guess, winning football matches. Um, and we can't escape from from the fact that we are always, you know, whether it's grassroots football, amateur football, academy football, youth football, we're always coaching with the purpose to win football matches, um, even though we might do it uh, via development, via progression. I always say that, that uh, uh, you know, winning football matches is a byproduct of, of, of solid development. That's, that's just something that I've always tried to try to put into my ethos and my philosophy, you know, if we are doing things correct and if we're doing things right, give or take 10%, we, sh you know, we should find ourselves winning football matches. And if we're not winning football matches, okay, well, let's look at the circumstances around it. Bad refereeing, okay, things that we can't control. Are we losing games or are we not winning games because of things that we can control? If the answer is yes, well, then let's go back to the drawing board and what can we do to consolidate those things and, and make them so strong that, we, that we're not losing football matches, but it's not winning at all costs. It's always... You know, it's always playing in a way that's gonna that's gonna challenge you and make you a better person, a better player, all of those kinds of things. Uh, but my focus is always surrounding what we can control, uh, and then obviously the problem solving around that. That's that's stopping us from being what I guess what what, what I want this to be. So great insights there. Thank you for sharing that. And I think only my two cents on that is you've got to know your players, which you talked about, and equally. You know, as a dad, I know that there'll be times where we always talk about, like, there's those models, learning zone, boredom zone, panic zone, and so on, right? Comfort zone. And we always talk about we want to stretch and we want to challenge, and I always use those phrases, as does Yaz. But then there'll be times where certain players don't want to be challenged 
per se. They might just need to be in that that zone and just get get through and get get things done and be really comfortable. There'll be times where they need to be in the panic zone. There'll be other times where it's not. So it's not the one's bad and one's good. And you've got to know your players, haven't you? So there'll be times where certain things you've said will work if you know your players and what works, what doesn't. But every context is different. And there'll be certain times where definitely kids don't want that. They actually have had a tough day at work or at school or whatever. And actually, they just want to play today and just have fun and enjoy it. I mean, look at the top level, even some of the you know, when we talk about mental health and all kinds of different stuff, but even at the top level, the anxiety. I've I've seen loads of pros who can't wait for the game to be over, which is mad. So it just it completely depends. And then I think the other one is just coming back to again match days is what are we doing that's revisiting what we've worked on in training? So trying to see that as every day is a is a, another opportunity to learn. So we're constantly thinking about those messages and then reinforce that going into the next one. And those mess those messages can be winning behaviours. So it's not necessarily that we're saying we've got to win the game, but actually we're saying like what behaviours really matter most. So if it's tracking your runners, if it's being a good learner, whatever it is, that's winning mentality. So that's why I would be encouraging all the time, winning behaviours. I wouldn't necessarily talk about the result and we've got to win this game because actually that can have a knock-on effect. And I've been around some environments, even talking to people recently where they've gone the whole season, they're actually top of the league. They've got players in the first team, they've got players signing pro. They've never once spoken about winning apart from one occasion. And the one occasion they did try and talk about winning was when they got beat in the FA Youth Cup. I think that's really fascinating for the players. But every other time, they just talked about what are their, what's the winning behaviours, as you said, non-negotiables, their values, and they reinforced those. And the players held themselves accountable on the match day as well as in training because they created little match days within training. And in the end, as I said, they've got you know record number of players in the first team, pros, top of the league. I think that's really interesting. Anything from you, Yaz, or any other questions you want to open up? No, I just think, you know, just to kind of summarise some key bits that you guys have touched on, and I think it's really, you know, whether it be a match day or whether it be a training session or, or, or any part of the season, off the pitch, on the pitch, it's really about, you know, tapping into the individual that you're you're working with, really, um, having a good understanding and empathy for who that individual is, what their needs are, what their, what their you know, wants are. And I think... Um, the only, only, thing, only kind of, you know, counter I would throw in there as well is that, you know, I do believe that regardless of the situation, I think everyone does want to be challenged. It's just finding out what the right level of challenge is for that player in that moment. Um, you know, and, you know, we can say, yeah, they want to have fun, but even within having that fun, there is an element of challenge in there as well. So, I mean, the one thing I would get coaches to really consider is how well do you know your players? Do you, you know, how well, how well do you, how well do you understand their motivation, you know, how, and then getting them to really, you know, we talked there about, you know, having your, your principles and your values and your, and I guess your, your environment or your standards, if you like, I think the real, real key thing is, is if we're going to hold people accountable for it in terms of the players, if we want, if we want to take ownership for it, how much work and how, how effective are you guys being as, you know, as coaches and as, you know, as, as Apple put it, you know, educators and developers in actually really checking 
the understanding and the perception that the players have of what those standards and those expectations are. I think quite often, you know, one of the, the biggest, I don't want to call it a mistake, but one of the biggest things that we can kind of, biggest tricks that we're missing out on as coaches at times is, is actually not checking enough or checking with uh, absolute clarity that the players are fully aware and understand what's expected of them, whether that be from the environmental standards, whether that be from an instruction that's been given to them, whether that be their perception of what's just happened within a game situation. So I think that that piece is really key. You know, and it was really coaches, you know, rather than giving a player an instruction, if you like, how about you just ask them, you know, what does that instruction mean to you? You know, it's all well and good giving the instruction. And it comes back to one of the points she was making earlier, Joel, about, you know, speaking to players in the in the game. And personally, I, 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 my approach is this. I, I don't believe we can really impact players and affect players um, that much once they cross that white line and get onto the pitch. So I, I tend to do most of my interventions on a game day, if you like, with my substitutions. Or <clears throat> if, I, if I link back into what I was saying earlier, a lot of the, a lot of the conversations, a lot of the... The extraction and the perception building is is done in the training environment. So when it comes to the match day, I'm not finding myself having to give them lengthy instructions or having a full on conversation with them. It might just be right, Gerard. Remember that conversation we had on Monday? What did we talk about? We talked about I don't know. Um, we talked about the, the way we need to commit a player, right? Just have a think about what we spoke about on Monday, rather than it being a full on conversation or a direction. If you like, it's just more of a prompt, and I feel like. Especially if you're working with in the in the development pathway and you're working with younger players, especially, I think that for me I found to be more impactful and effective because you're now actually not just giving them a prompt, you're not necessarily giving them an answer, but you're actually guiding them to think. Actually, what did we discuss? Can we recall that information? And if you can't recall that information, no problem. Um, but then you give give the players the option to say, right, okay, have a think about what we spoke about on Monday, Gerard. All right, and if you're struggling with remembering that, come and have a chat with me. But it's having that open communication and coming back to what Apple said earlier about developing that relationship with the person before the player. You know, it's like the old saying goes, you know, people don't care what you know until they know how much you care. So I think really developing that groundwork, putting the groundwork in rather and developing that initial relationship with the player to build that trust so that they feel they can come over and tell you, do you know what? Actually, coach, I ain't got a clue. I can't remember what we spoke about. Can you, you know, can you just jog my memory? Um, but it's through those interactions where you can now have a more more of an impact and actually genuinely, like I said, clarify their understanding and their perceptions of the situation. I think through that process, any interaction you do have, any conversation you do have with them, or any any demonstration you do share with them, should in fact, from my experience, anyway, become more impactful and memorable because of the emotion that's attached to it now because they do trust you, because they do believe that you've got their best interests at heart. So I think that's one of the key kind of takeaways for me, to, for coaches to really consider and think about. Um, and I guess just a final piece, really, is just, like you said, Gerard, it's an extension of what's happening in, in, in training, really. And obviously, depending on what level you're working at and what the outcomes are. So if it is more of a performance pathway where you're looking at trying to win games specifically, I mean, I, 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 I've don't agree with any environment that doesn't encourage the players to want to win. Uh, for me, the whole idea of taking part count that counts is for me absolute nonsense. Um, yes, the taking part is important, but actually, we need to be encouraging every single person that we come across to actually want to win. 
Now, it doesn't mean they have to win every single game. It doesn't mean it has to be done at, be, you know, at all costs, but it has to be something that you're driving. At the end of the day, it's a game. A, a game, you know, you can't, you know, whether whether I'm, whether it's a game of football, whether it's a, you know, a penny up the wall, there's no way that I'm going into a game and not wanting to win. And if you're, if you're telling me, oh, well, it's okay, you just, you know, you, you, at least you took part. I'm not having that. And I think whether that be a five-year-old, a 15-year-old or 25-year-old, they shouldn't be having that either, in my opinion. So I think we need to start coaching players and helping players understand the importance of winning, but understand that actually, if we don't win, like Apple said, what is it that's stopping us from winning? If we are winning, what is it that's helping us win? And actually really reaffirming those messages and those bits of detail, which I think a lot of coaches do overlook and maybe overlook for different reasons, whether it be through lack of understanding or lack of observational uh, analysis themselves, or whether it's just simply actually they don't consider it to be important. Um, So yeah, that's, you know, that's my two cents on that. And it's a bit of a ramble, but hopefully there's a bit of uh, clarity and some sense in what I've said there um, and something for people to kind of take away and apply. Loads of good stuff, mate, as always. So no, all good. Definitely. Well, Apple, you know, I want to thank you, obviously, for joining us. I don't know if you've got anything else you want to add before we look to wrap up. Oh, listen, just uh, thank you very much to Gerard and, and to yourself for, for, for obviously creating this uh, this space and allowing us to have this conversation. I think um, there's there's no progression or, or development in, in life without any kind of conversation and without people sort of bouncing ideas off each other and kind of being able to check and challenge uh, certain aspects of, of the things that we do every day in, in practice and in life. Um uh, the only thing that I would say, just my, my I wouldn't call it a parting gift, but just my parting uh, words um, are, uh, you know, try to be that thing that you want to see in, in, your, in your changing room. Um, uh, don't underestimate the value of really getting to know your players. You know, they're not players, they're, they're people first. Um, really try to uh, make that authentic as well. Try to find a way to communicate with them because even how it can affect your coaching um, when when you've got a good relationship with people, not just a relationship, but actually, you know, just a good one and a genuine one, um, players can start to take in information in different ways. It allows you to talk to them in a far more relaxed manner. Um, you don't have to be the coach all the time. You can talk to somebody as as a friend and, and, and you know, just with a little bit of football added in. And it's, it, you know, it, it really makes a big difference. You know, don't neglect uh, the, the importance of, of good relationships uh, with players, with parents, and, and in general, even just with your colleagues. Um, it can really, really change the atmosphere and, uh, you know, of your environment. And it's uh, it's a really big deal. So, but yeah, look, uh, thank you very much uh, to, to, to yourself, Gerard. And, and yes, it's fantastic conversation. No, definitely. Pleasure's all ours. And I guess, you know, just to kind of leave it on one final note, a quote that kind of just stuck with me and it's, it's stuck with me ever since I've heard it really is, remember the role of a coach. The coach, the way I look at it is the coach's job is not to tell the players what to do. The coach's job is not to help the players in anything unless it's something that they can't do themselves. So the coach's job is to help an individual get to somewhere from point A to point B, wherever that might be, when they're unable to do it themselves. So in in turn, you know, I think every coach should be aiming to work towards to a point of becoming redundant in their role, if you like, where eventually they're not needed, but they're actually wanted in the environment. That's what you see a lot of the top coaches in the world. They're, they're not relied upon because of the technical information necessarily that they're sharing, 
but more specifically because of the impact as an individual and the interpersonal relationship they've built with their athletes, their players, their co-coaches or whoever that might be um, in terms of the way they set the environment. So kind of just on that, on that note, really want to kind of leave you guys with you know that thought there just to kind of think about how, how, how effective are we being in setting that positive relationship with our athletes and with our co-coaches. Um, but guys, you know, it's been a pleasure. Apple, thank you for your thoughts. Gerard, obviously, you know, pleasure, pleasure again with uh, joint, being joined by yourself. Um, anyone that is new to this space, we are here every single Sunday where myself, Gerard, uh, will be taking questions that have been put to us and discussing them on this Twitter space. So feel free to kind of uh, follow both of us. Make sure you, ha- ha- you know, follow the, the coaches net. Gerard, over to you, man. Yeah, I really appreciate everyone's thoughts tonight. It's great to share, great to keep the conversation going and really thank you for everyone who contributed. So this is really good. And just encourage anyone to check out, obviously, Platform, uh, obviously my Twitter handle, jar underscore Jones. You've also got Learnbly, which is a digital coach education platform where you can access loads of this information and more. So really, you've got an opportunity to personalise your learning, access online courses, around a range of topics, watch insight interviews with coaches who have coached at international level, coaches who worked at some of the top levels in, in professional football academy, including grassroots and some of the leading sort of teachers and, and educators. So really exciting. Uh, thanks to everyone who, who tuned in. Well, there you have it, guys. Another episode of the Coaches Network podcast, where our aim is to bring the world of athlete, talent and personal development together to just one platform. And you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favourite episodes with everyone that you can think of. You can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at The Coaches Network or on Twitter at The Coaches Net. We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care.